Good evening. It is good to be together tonight to worship God. Again, we welcome you if you're a guest. Tonight, we will, as we always do, have a period of study and of worship through song and also through prayer. It'll be a little bit different order and hopefully it'll bring a greater emphasis on the idea of increasing our faith. And uh, I encourage you to take your Bible and just for a few minutes, I'd like to share with you the idea of increasing your faith and then let's sing a couple of songs about it. And I know anytime we sing songs of praise to God, we would naturally, and uh, from a spiritual standpoint, we would naturally want to think about the words of those songs and, and we would want to praise God with an understanding. But tonight, we hope that this will help us to even think greater uh, about the meaning of some of the songs that we will sing tonight. But as you're doing that, I'd like for you to turn to Micah, the sixth chapter. And, and if you are one that, that, I know some just enjoy studying the scriptures a little deeper, uh, there was something that I noticed as I studied Luke, the 17th chapter, preparing for this lesson today, that it just really was amazing to me to look at Micah, uh, the sixth chapter. In Micah, the sixth chapter, this verse that we're about to study here in verse 8 is the best known verse in all of the book of Micah. And as we read this, I want to remind you of what we studied this morning about increasing our faith. Remember that one of the first things that Jesus brought up was that we should not be an offense to others. That would mean that we would need to deal justly with everyone. The second thing that was dealt with was the idea that we need to be willing to forgive others. That would deal with grace. The third thing that we studied about was being a servant that was willing to go out and work with our Lord and at the end of the day to not feel like God owes us something but to declare that we're unprofitable servant and we've simply done our duty. Notice what Micah says here hundreds of years before that in verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? That sounds like duty, doesn't it? If the Lord requires something, what is it that he requires of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. So tonight we begin with the same question as perhaps the apostles, or at least the same uh, statement, where they declared, God or Lord, increase our faith. If you and I are really going to be able to deal justly with everybody this week, are we going to be able to do it on our own? If we're going to really be able to be gracious to everyone to the point that Jesus was gracious, are we going to be able to do it on our own? Are we really going to be able to humbly walk with the Lord and do it on our own? And we know the answer to that is no, we can't. But Lord, we can do it with you. I'd like for us to read three or four passages quickly that places the emphasis on us turning to God for our strength. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul reached a point where he thought that he had to have some additional help from God. He had that all throughout his life as a Christian. But this was the time when the thorn was so great and he prayed for it to be removed. And you remember a portion of what Jesus answered to him is, and in 9 and 10, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distress. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Do you know what Paul's saying? If it's just up to me, I'm weak. 
Lord, I need you to remove this so I can be strong. And the Lord says, no, you keep being weak, but just keep relying on me. And the Lord says, my strength and your weakness is going to do great things. And so Paul says, okay, I'm comfortable with my weakness and your strength. And I'm going to boast in that, that that great things can be done. Remember, just a little bit of faith, a mustard seed of faith can do great things if that faith is anchored in God. Let's read another example of this. Ephesians, the sixth chapter and verse 10. We oftentimes think of this as the beginning of the passage of the armor. Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong where? Be strong in yourself? No, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Where do we find our strength? In the Lord. And and where do we find power? We find our power in His power, the power of His might. Can you in your faith live, pray, and expect what Paul prayed about? Just back a page in Ephesians, the third chapter. Back up a page. Ephesians, the third chapter. Look, if you will, in the third chapter, verse 20 and 21. This is the close of a prayer that he prays. And he says, now to him who is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Have you prayed expecting that lately? Really, test yourself right now. Have you prayed expecting that lately? When's the last time you prayed expecting for God to do exceedingly, abundantly, not just above what you ask, but what you can even think or imagine? That's why we have these kinds of teachings scattered throughout Jesus' ministry. And I would like for us to read Matthew's account of a similar teaching to what we read this morning in Luke, the 17th chapter. You're going to recognize it. If you were here this morning, you're going to recognize how this is similar. Look at Matthew 17 and 20. And then we're about to sing a few songs about this faith that God would ask us to have. Matthew 17 and 20. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now we're back to Jesus' teaching. It's staying with Him. Lord, I have faith, but when I look at all that you ask of me, I feel like my faith is not great enough. Lord, will you increase my faith? And when we stay with Him, He reminds us, nothing is impossible with Him. Now, of course, we're speak, He's speaking here of nothing that is within His will is impossible. If you haven't already today, will you be prayerful in your personal prayers? After we sing a couple of songs, we're going to have an opening prayer. And even in that prayer, we can pray for the Lord to increase our faith. But I hope and I pray 
that as a result of us studying and singing praise to God, that we truly will leave here after being in this place today, we will leave here with a desire to have our faith increase. Let's stand as we sing together. Number 560 and then. I care not today what the model may bring. If shadow or sunshine or rain, the Lord I know ruleth forever in vain, and all of my worry is vain. Lift my face Almighty Father in heaven, uh, creator and giver of all things, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. Thank you, Father, most of all for the gift of your precious son who came and gave his life on that cross for us. Father, sometimes we lose sight of that sacrifice and that gift and pray, Father, that we will always Strive to keep it in the forefront of our minds. Father, we pray that we would all realize how much you love us and how great and powerful you are. Father, please forgive our lack of faith. And we pray, Father, that We would accept the fact that you are the creator and that all things are possible through you. And Lord, we sometimes depend on ourselves and our own abilities, which is in itself a lack of faith in you. And for that, we're sorry, Father. Help us tonight, Father, as we focus on this to take these things to heart and apply them to our lives and 
truly put our faith in you. Father, thank you for this congregation of people here. Lord, there's this congregation strives to serve you and there's much good that comes from it and so so uplifting to folks like myself and, and many others and to the community. Pray, Father, that we will strive to continue to show our show you through our example in this congregation but not for our own praise or glory, but for your glory. Because it, none of it's possible without you. Thank you, Father, for David and the abilities that he has. And Lord, pray that you would continue to bless him. And thank you, Father, for all of those who uh, labor here, that you will bless them, bless their families. Father, thank you for our elders and the tremendous task they have of overseeing this flock. Bless them and their families. And Lord, I know that they seek you in everything that they do. And pray, Father, that that will never change. And Father, be with the deacons here and bless them and their works. And be with each person here, Father, that... So many things are done that are never mentioned or that go unnoticed, and those are the true blessings. Father, be with our families, and Father, please be with our babies and protect them and keep them safe from harm. Go with us as we continue this worship to you, and pray that we'll always keep you in our hearts and minds and go out and teach others of you and be a great example for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be turning, if you will, to Matthew, the sixth chapter. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Have you ever had someone that, maybe while, especially while you were growing up, that, that was in an authoritative position? that placed a pretty high expectation upon you, and you let them down? Do you remember that feeling? I think back to my junior year, and, and I know uh, some of you will relate to this and others of you won't, but you figure out where it is in your life, and, and that way the illustration will come alive to you. Uh, my FFA uh, advisor was really keen on the idea of somebody out of all the years of, of him leading FFA in the local chapter, he was keen on the idea of someone winning a national competition. That was his dream, was someone go to nationals. And so he told me the junior year, he says, you're going to win speech. We're going to go to district, to region, to state, and to national. You're going to win speech. And so I worked pretty hard and I went to district and I went to region and our region was always tough in Middle Tennessee. And usually, usually whoever won Middle Tennessee would win the state. So you had to get the region and you could pretty much make it. Junior year, I just didn't do well. And, and he was all fine with that, you know, pat on the back. That's okay. That's all right. We have next year. We have next year. And next year came. And I uh, went to district and did well. Went to region. 
And this particular competition at Region was very odd in that no one was allowed in the audience except for the four judges. So it was kind of an odd situation. You walked in a room and you delivered a speech as if the room was full. And there were only four judges scattered around. And so he was waiting for me after I walked out of the room. And, and with, you know, this career of anticipation, he looks at me and he says, how'd you do? I said, I don't think it's very good. He said, oh, you did good. I said, T.W., I'm telling you, it wasn't good. And boy's face. He said, so you messed up? And I said, no. No, he said, well, then you're going to win. I said, no. And if any of you have never done competitive speaking, the only thing I know to compare it to, it's, it's like a pitcher. You know, you prepare and you do everything the same, but one day you walk to the mound and, and you, you throw heat and everything goes well and you prepare the very same exact way and the next day you walk to the mound and you just can't get it across the plate. That's what happened that night. I didn't mess anything up. I didn't forget anything like I did first service this morning, my notes. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mess anything up. But I knew at that level of competition, you have to throw heat every time to win. And, and, so, and so he's like, what, what do you mean? I said, I'm just telling you, I did good, but not good enough to win. And if you could see his face. We went into the awards, and I didn't win. And now it's he and I on a long ride back to Hickman County. I don't guess I'll ever forget that ride back. And even though I really, really wanted to go to the national competition, what I remember about that was here was a good man who had always been kind to me and there was no way he could hide his disappointment. And that night riding back over and over and over. And even since then I thought, what could I do? Or what could I have done so that He could have gotten what he so desperately wanted. You can say that's unfair pressure, and he didn't mean to put that pressure on me. But what I want you to see is, what if the Lord has pressure on you? In the sense of, what if the Lord has expectations? And what if we don't fulfill those expectations? Would the Lord ever address it? Would the Lord ever say anything? Tonight, what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to look at three times that Jesus looked his disciples in the eye. And I want you to imagine the feeling that it would have been to them. He looked his disciples in the eye and said, Oh, you of little faith. That must have hurt. What was it that they were doing that created little faith that he needed to address? You see, we're talking today about increasing our faith. But listen, if on one hand I'm saying increase my faith and on the other hand I'm doing everything that erodes faith, friends, it's going to be one step forward, two steps back and we're going to be scratching our heads saying, why am I not growing? So let's briefly look at these three times. We'll look at the first one and we'll sing a song about it. Then we'll look at two more and we'll sing a song of invitation. Matthew, the sixth chapter, begin at verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. What do you think might erode faith? 
Do not worry about your life. Notice how often this idea of worry comes up. It will erode faith. What you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Isn't that amazing? Today we worry about paying our bills and we worry about how do I look? Am I tall enough? Am I short enough? Do, do I weigh too much or too little? What about my clothes? Do I have the right clothes on? Can I pay this bill? Can I pay this bill? Can I pay this bill? And he says, don't worry. If we're living for the Lord, don't worry. Look at the birds of the air. Here's an example. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? Which of you by worrying can add one cubic to his stature? In other words, can you make yourself grow just because you worry? Wouldn't that be awesome? I tell you what, I worried for two weeks and I lost 15 pounds. Wouldn't that be great if it's a worrying diet? You see what he's saying? You can worry all you want and you're not going to change your weight. You're not going to change your stature. In other words... The only thing you're going to change is what? Your faith. You're going to decrease your faith if you have a life of worrying. And so he says in 28, so why do you worry about the clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Can you imagine these beautiful flowers out trying to create cloth so that they then could sow clothing for themselves? But yet we look at the lilies and we say, wow, those are gorgeous. Look how beautiful they are. Who made their clothing? 29, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Here it is, 30. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Here's a solution. Instead of worrying and having little faith, here's a priority. Don't worry, but instead seek first the kingdom of God here on earth, that's the church, and his righteousness, that's the standard. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Friends, I can't say it better than Jesus said it. We'll simply summarize it. If you want to erode your faith, worry. If you want to build your faith, instead of worrying, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We haven't sung this one in a long time, so let's all sing out together. Consider the lilies of the
Let's touch on two more passages, just over a couple pages, Matthew the 8th chapter. Each of these three will come out of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew the 8th chapter, what else will destroy our faith? When we look at Matthew the 8th chapter, we see a very beautiful story that it's amazing on paper, but if we could have actually been there, we probably would not stop talking about this event as long as we lived. Let's read it. Verse 23. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Have you ever been in a boat that was covered with waves? I know there's some here that hasn't, and there's many of us that, that, there's some here that have, and there's many of us that have not. But imagine this, this boat looks like it's going to be destroyed in this, this tempest. And he says in 25, his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Notice, it's not just a calm. It says there was a great calm. You notice what Jesus tied it to? He tied it to fear. Oh, you're afraid. Do you not have faith? You mean being afraid reveals a lack of faith? Yes. You know, many individuals in the world would think that the greatest fear of all is death. That's the worst thing that can happen. But yet you read in the scriptures of individuals of faith, and what do they say? For example, in Philippians 1 and 21, Paul said, For me to live is is Christ, and to die is gain. That doesn't sound like it's a negative thing. Of course, for Christians, it's not a negative thing. Recently, I had someone to ask me something that I've never had someone to ask me. And I thought, that is a beautiful question. This person was younger in the faith and and was just trying to learn the scriptures. And this person said, you know that psalm? You know that? And and they paused and they said, oh, you know that psalm? And I said, 23rd, that says the Lord is my shepherd. Yes, yes, that psalm. Why is that the one that is read so often? Even when you're watching television shows, if they ever refer to something in the Bible, that's the one they refer to it. And always at funerals, that's the one that's read. Why is it the one? It is, isn't it? It's the most referred to passage in all of the Bible. Why? Because it addresses Matthew 6. As long as the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't have to worry. He's going to provide. Don't worry. Allow God to provide. And then we go to the middle of that psalm, and we don't have to fear the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because as long as the Lord is our shepherd, we won't fear. And the reason we don't fear is because the end of that passage. We shall live in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, when faith becomes real, we start looking at death entirely differently. It's not anything to be afraid of. It's something to place our hope that through that passage of death is the opportunity to live in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus looked at men that were saying they were disciples of His that were afraid of dying, and He said, that is little faith. 
I can't worry. God's going to provide. I can't fear death because God has already conquered death. But then finally, let's go to the 16th chapter and let's see one more. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, if my faith is going to increase, I've got to make sure that there is not false doctrine that is eroding it. And that's another time that Jesus brings this up. In Matthew, the 16th chapter and verse 5, when the disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Now, this is kind of humorous right here. And Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. Now, pause there for a minute. You see what's happening here? He's saying, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That's, that's strong language. Take heed, be decisive, and beware. Behold, keep your eyes on. Be wise in your decisions and don't ever take your eyes off. What, what, what? The leavened bread of the Pharisees. And you can imagine them turning and saying, oh, me? We've started this trip. Did you bring bread? I didn't bring any bread. Hey, Andrew, did you bring bread? I didn't bring any bread. Oh, no. He's calling us on the carpet. We've started this trip and nobody's brought the bread. And you know what Jesus does in the next two verses? He's like, come on, guys, you've already seen me feed 5,000 with five loaves and 4,000 with seven loaves. Do you really think I'm asking you, did anybody bring the bread? I mean, literally, that's what he says to them. I'm not being funny. That is what he says to them. And and so what is he talking about then? Let's read verse 8. What is he talking about? And Jesus being aware of it, and that's being aware that they're misunderstanding this bread conversation. And he says to them, oh, you of little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? And so he talks to them about feeding 5,000 and 4,000. And now let's go to 11 and 12. How is it that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Whenever we get so wrapped up in physical things that we think those are the most important things, and we miss that teaching, the teaching is the most important thing, the Lord is going to look at us and say, you're of little faith right now. Listen, we are excited and thankful that there's a parking lot back there with almost a hundred concrete loads of concrete on it. And we're going to have a lot of parking in a little bit. We're thankful for that. But if we want to put this on a scale of things most important, the truth versus false teaching, or a place to park, or not having a place to park, they're not in the same ballpark. There's no comparison. And if you and I ever start thinking that all these physical things, that are great blessings and they're tools to be used in God's service, if we ever start thinking that they're what, those are the things that are very important and the teaching, oh sure, that's kind of important, the Lord's going to look at us and say, that's little faith. What about in your personal life, though? Does your life personally reflect that you're committed to the truth and that's more important than things 
And that's more important than a long life. That is the most important thing in your life. To be able to say, I want to live the will of God. Where does faith come from that we increase? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Lord, increase our faith. And he says, listen, the bread I want you to get is I want you to get the true bread of life. Don't fall for the bad leaven of false teachers. Tonight, do you have the true bread of life? As the Lord of your life, He's calling you. He wants you to bring your faith, and you and Him will be a majority. You and Him will be the most powerful force on earth. You and Him will be victorious. But you without Him... You're nothing. Tonight, if you've never been baptized into Christ, why not tonight? Come just as you are, ready to give your all to Him. Maybe you've already been baptized into Christ and you want to return to Him because you've left Him. Sin creeps in. There's no excuse for it. But we're human. There's no excuse to not make it right. Let's come to our Lord. Let's name Him as our Lord And let's be faithful, increasing our faith day in and day out. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.